0: Listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four volume, over 2,500 page work of the Venerable Maria Vagrata. And if you would like to discuss today's reading with other members of the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, go over to Facebook, find the group, and then begin to interact with one another who are reading and listening to this mystical biography. Today is day 52. And we are reading from Book 2, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 444 to 451. Chapter 3. The instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me concerning the vows of my profession. 444. My dear daughter, I will not deny thee the instruction thou askest of me with the desire of putting it into practice. But do thou receive it with an appreciative and devout mind, ready to follow it indeed, The wise man says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, thou hast engaged fast thy hand to a stranger. Thou art ensnared with the words of thy mouth, and caught with thy own words. Proverbs 6.1 Accordingly, he who has made vows to God has bound his own will, so that he has no freedom of acting except according to the will and direction of him to whom he has bound himself. For he is chained down by the words of his own mouth, uttered in the profession of his vows. Before taking his vows, the choice of his ways was in his own hands. But having once bound and obliged himself, let him know that he has entirely lost his liberty, and has delivered himself up to God and his superiors. The whole ruin of salvation of souls depends upon the use of their free will. But since most men use it, ill and damn themselves, the Most High has established religious life under the sacred vows. Thus, the creature, by once using its liberty to make a perfect and prudent choice, can deliver up to his majesty that very liberty which so many pervert, if it remains free and unhampered in its choice. 4.45. By these vows, the liberty to do evil is happily lost, and the liberty for doing good is assured. It is like a bridle, which leads away from the danger and directs into the smooth and sure road. The soul is freed from the slavery and subjection of the passions, and acquires a new power over them, resuming her place as mistress and queen in the government of her kingdom, and remaining subject only to the law of grace and the inspirations of the Holy Ghost. If she thus applies her whole will solely to the fulfillment of all that she has promised to God, the Holy Spirit will govern and direct all her operations. The creature thereby passes from the conditioned state of a slave to that of a child of the Most High from an earthly to an angelic life, while the corruption and evil effects of sin cannot exert their full power. It is impossible that thou ever be able in this earthly life to calculate or comprehend what and how many are the blessings and treasures those souls gather for themselves, who with all their powers and afflictions strive to fulfill perfectly the vows of their profession. For I assure thee, my dearest, that those who are perfect and punctual in their religious obligations can equal and even surpass the martyrs in merit. My daughter, thou didst happily begin to gather these blessings on the day when thou didst choose the better part, but remember well that thou hast bound thyself to the eternal and mighty God, to whom the inmost secrets of thy heart are manifest. If it is so base and detestable to deceive and disappoint men in just promises, how vile is it to be unfaithful to God in the most just and holy promises! As thy creator, preserver, and benefactor, he claims thy gratitude. As father, thy reverence, as spouse, thy fidelity, as a friend, amicable intercourse. As the most faithful, he should excite thy faith and hope as the highest and eternal good. He should possess thy love as the Almighty, thy entire subjection as the most just judge. He should rouse thy humble and holy fear against all these allegiances and many others thou committest perfidious treason, and failing or hesitating to fulfill what thou hast promised according to thy profession. And if, in all the nuns who have obliged themselves to a spiritual life and conversation, it is such a monstrous and terrible abomination to call themselves spouses of Christ, while living as members and slaves of the devil, how much more abominable will it be in thee, who hast received more than they all, And therefore shouldst exceed them in loving and exerting thyself to make a return for such incomparable blessings and benefits. 4.47. Consider, O soul, how detestable this fault would make thee in the sight of the Lord, of myself, and of the angels and saints. For we all are witnesses of the love and the fidelity which he has shown toward thee as a generous, loving, and faithful spouse. Strive, then, with all thy heart to avoid offending him, either in great or in small things. Do not force him to relinquish thee and to deliver thee over to the beastly disorders of sin. For thou knowest that this would be a greater misfortune and punishment than if he consigned thee to the fury of the elements, or to the wrath of all the wild animals, or even to the rage of the demons, if all thee were to execute their anger upon thee. If the world were to heap upon thee all its punishments and insults, all would do thee less damage than one venial sin against the God, whom thou art obliged to serve and love in all things and through all things. Any punishment of this life is less dreadful than sin, for it ends with mortal life, but the guilt of sin and with it punishment may be eternal. 4.48 In this life any punishment or tribulation fills mortals, with fear and dread, merely because it affects the senses and brings them in close touch with it through them. But the guilt of sin does not affect them, nor fill them with dread. Men are entirely taken up by that which is visible, and they, therefore, do not look upon the ultimate consequences of sin, which is the eternal punishment of hell. Though this is imbibed and inseparably connected with sin, the human heart becomes so heavy and remiss that it remains as if it were stupefied in its wickedness. Because it does not feel at present in its senses. Though it could see and feel it by faith, this itself remains listless and dead, as if it were not wanting entirely. O most unhappy blindness of mortals, O oh, torpid negligence that holds so many souls capable of reason and of glory, oppressed in deceit! There are not words or sentences sufficient to describe this terrible and tremendous danger. My daughter, haste away and fly with holy fear! Such an unhappy state, and deliver thyself up to all thy troubles and torments of life which pass soon, rather than incur such a danger. For nothing will be wanting to thee if thou do not lose God. To be convinced that there are no small faults for thee and for thy state is a powerful means of saving thyself. Fear greatly the small things, for in despising small faults, the most high knows, then the human heart invites other greater ones. That is not a blameless love which does not avoid all displeasure of the Beloved One. 4.49 The order which religious souls should maintain in their desires should be that they strive to be punctual in fulfilling the obligations of their vows and all the virtues which are connected with them. Afterwards and secondarily they may engage in voluntary practices such as are called su- superrogatory. This order, some of the souls who are misled by the devil to entertain and indiscreet zeal for perfection are wont to invert. Thus, while they fail seriously in the obligations of their state, they are eager to add other voluntary exercises and practices, which are usually of small use or benefit, or arise from a spirit of presumption and singularity. They secretly desire to be looked upon as distinguished in zeal and perfection, while in truth they are very far from even the beginning of perfection. I do not wish to see in thee a fault so reprehensible, But first, fulfill all the duties of thy vows and of community life, and then thou mayest add what thou canst according to thy ability and the inspiration of divine grace. This together will beautify thy soul and will make it perfect and agreeable in the eyes of God. 4.50 The vow of obedience is the principal one in religion, for it implies a total renunciation and denial of one's will. By it, the religious renounces all jurisdiction or right to say for himself, I will or I will not, I shall or I shall not act. All this he throws aside and renounces by obedience, delivering himself into the hands of his superior. In order to fulfill this obligation, it is necessary for thee not to be wise in thy own conceit, not to imagine thyself still mistress of thy likings, thy desires, or thy opinion. For true obedience must be of the quality of faith, so that the commands of the superior are esteemed. Reverenced, and put into execution without any pretense of examination or criticism. Accordingly, in order to obey, thou must consider thyself without opinion, without life of thy own, without right of speech, but thou must allow thyself to be moved and governed like a corpse, alive only in order to execute devotedly all that the superior desires. Never discuss within thyself whether thou shouldst fulfill his commands or not, but only consider how thou canst best execute that which is commanded. Sacrifice thy own inclination and repress all thy appetites and passions. And when by this efficacious determination thou art dead to all the movements of self, let obedience be the soul and the life of thy works. To the will of thy superior thou must conform all thy own. With all its activity and all thy words and works, let it be thy prayer to be able to quit thy own being, and receive another new one, so that nothing be thine and all in thee be of obedience without contradiction or resistance. 4.51 Because that the most perfect manner of obeying is to avoid offending the superior by showing that you disagree with him, he should find a willing obedience, convincing him that his commands are obeyed promptly without objection or murmur, either in words or by other signs. The superiors take the place of God, and he who obeys his superiors obeys the Lord himself, who is in them and governs them and enlightens them, so that their commands will be for the salvation of souls. The contempt shown to superiors passes on to God himself, who through them manifests and makes known his will. Luke 10.16 Thou must persuade thyself that the Lord moves them to speak, and that it is the word of the omnipotent himself. My daughter, strive to be obedient, in order that thou mayest speak of victories. Proverbs twenty-one to twenty-eight. Do not fear to obey, for that is the secure path. So secure that God will not bring to account the errors of the obedient on the day of judgment, but He will rather blot out other sins in consideration of the sacrifice made in obedience. My Most Holy Son offered His precious sufferings and death in special love for the obedient, and procured for them special rights in regard to mercy and grace, and special privileges toward the success and perfection of all that is due under obedience. Even now, in order to appease Him, He reminds the Eternal Father of His obedience unto death and unto the cross. And so the Father is placated toward men. Because He was pleased with the obedience of Abraham and His son Isaac, He held Himself obliged not only to save Isaac from death, who showed himself so obedient, but to make him the ancestor of the incarnate word and to designate him as the head and beginning of the great blessings. This concludes our reading today from the mystical city of God. Today we've been reading from Book 2, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 444 to 451. Again, we have the mention of sin and It's good for us to have an awareness of sin, and perhaps we can't talk about sin enough because there are so many people in the world, in the church, in our community, in our families, and maybe they say to you, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you're a person that goes to confession regularly, and the person in your family says, well, what do you tell the priest? You don't have many sins at all. And sometimes people might go into the confessional and they confess a very few number of sins. And, and you wonder, well, do they realize some of the other sins in their life? That's why an examination of conscience is so important. It brings us to an awareness of the different ways that maybe we have sinned and offended God in our life. And what is the consequence of sin? Well, we heard it today. The consequence of sin is eternal punishment of hell. And we know that is, especially the case in a mortal sin, in that a person who has a conscious of a, a grave sin at the end of their life, that it is possible that maybe they've brought damnation upon themselves. I always have a little hope in this situation, because St. Faustina in her diary said that even a soul conscious of grave sin at the end of their life is offered three times to make repentance for their sin. And so that always gives me a great hope that maybe a person who wasn't ready to die, who hadn't made it to confession, that maybe the Lord gives them another chance, that Jesus has the divine mercy in this revelation to St. Faustina. Maybe it's true. I'd like to believe that that is something that the Lord offers. There are venial sins and there are mortal sins, and we heard in our reading today that we shouldn't just dismiss, we shouldn't just poo-poo venial sins. I think we can say, oh, it's just a small little thing. Maybe we rationalize, justify in our mind, oh, it's okay for me to do this. I'm going to commit this sin. It's very small. It's a lie. I'm going to say a lie. It's okay if I say this bad word. It's okay if I gossip. They're, they're not big sins, they're, they're small sins. Well, Maria Vagrata, in this writing today about the life of Mary, and as they're talking about the vows that, that Maria Vagrata is under, you know, Mary says, no. Be very aware of the small sins and resist those because if you can resist the small things, then you're going to be able to resist the big things. And so we want to maybe daily examine our conscience and say, tomorrow, how can I live my life better so that I can please God? I don't want to displease God or heaven or the angels or the saints. I want to be pleasing to God I want to be pleasing in his sight. And so we become aware of those sins in our life. We also heard that reflection on uh, obedience. And that's one of the vows that a religious takes, that a priest takes. And so they often say that the obedience is the hardest vow uh, to take or the promise to make. And I would have to agree with that. And um, I won't go into any further commentary there, but um, obedience. It's something that we're all aware of. You know, honor your father and mother. Well, what's that mean? That means I was obedient to my mother as a kid. I was obedient to the rules. Even when I drive my car, I'm obedient, right? I'm obedient to the stop sign and to the laws so that I don't hurt anyone, that I don't kill anyone. And so obedience is actually something that's good for us. If we obey the things that people are saying, this is for your good. Don't ignore this. There's going to be something good that happens because you followed this. Tomorrow we'll continue our reading and there'll be a reflection on poverty there, on the vow of poverty, and we'll continue to hear then the instruction of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading from the mystical city of God, I am honored that you joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.